Welcome to episode 12 of Bleachers in Boxes, a baseball podcast hosted by old friends who happen to be fans of the Houston Astros and the New York Yankees. With me today is my co-host, Eric Ando, a Yankees fan, and I'm Storm Bird. I'm an attorney, an Astros fan, and after attending game four of the 2023 World Series, I've now been to at least one game in 12 different World Series. Play the drop. Eric, how you doing today, buddy? I am great, Storm. It is great to be back. How are you after what what seems to be a much-deserved vacation? Doing good. Yeah, that was. Uh, I just got back uh, from a Disney cruise uh, that I had been putting off for like two years because of either COVID or work. Um, I, it was. Uh, I think it was initially supposed to be our aniv- or our our, uh, our honeymoon, but then COVID happened, so our wedding got pushed back a couple different times. And then I was right. supposed to do. It was supposed to be our one year uh, anniversary trip. Uh, but work got in the way. I had to let some more senior people take vacations uh, so I could do the work. But otherwise, we got it done, and it was a great time. That's all that matters. Uh, you took the trip right at the beginning of what is now the uh, the baseball offseason. How did you feel about the World Series? Before we get into everything that is offseason baseball, this was a little bit of a snooze fest in terms of numbers. So... Uh, you were at game four. How'd you feel? Yeah, let's just dive in. Um, I, I went with our friend Hank. Um, and as, as you know, as we, as I just said in the, in the intro, I've been to, uh, my fair share of world series games and I've been to a lot over the last couple of years, given Houston's run. Um, it was an interesting vibe in Arizona. Of course, game four was that blowout. So you have to kind of discount it a little bit for that. I give the right. Arizona crowd, give the fans a lot of credit for showing up, um, and staying through that game. I mean, I when I saw how things were getting out of control and like I think it was the second, third, or fourth inning, something like that. They were back to back getting like five runs. I saw a uh, I saw a lot of fans sticking around and they stayed that whole game. And you know, in the blowout stages, they kind of start putting some runs on. And when you look at the final score, it looks more respectable than it really was. But yeah, uh, it was an odd it was an odd vibe. Like you know, Hank and I were talking about because Hank has gone to. Uh, Hank's gone to at least one World Series game with me. I know we went in 21. I don't think Hank made it in 22, but he's gone to a World Series game in Houston. He's gone to a, pl- a couple playoff games in Houston, playoff games in Texas. And he even he was kind of like, it was a really like, there was a lot of energy for the first pitch. And then it kind of tailed off after that. And that was before right. Texas even started running away with it. So it was odd. Yeah. And, uh, you know, for, for those that don't know, uh, this World Series was the lowest watched uh, by numbers uh, World Series in World Series history. Uh, it beat out the 2020 World Series uh, between the Dodgers and the Rays uh, for lowest ever. It was down 23% from last year's. Uh, 9.11 million people watched this series compared to 9.79 in 2020. Um, and so by and beat frankly, out, you mean it did worse. By beat out, you mean it was by beating worse it out, in terms it of worse. Race. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that, I mean, like I, I was, I was excited about the Rangers and, and, uh, and the Diamondbacks going in. Um, and we certainly got a good game one. And yeah. I, I saw some crazy statistic, which I, I think I shared in our group text that, uh, the Diamondbacks have allowed three, uh, game tying two run home runs now in world series games, uh, which date back obviously to 2001. Uh, it was obviously games 
four and five of the 0-1 World Series with Patino and Brocious home runs, and then the Corey Seager home run in Game One. Um, I took I took my dog out. I mean, I was like, I was hoping that she was going to do her business quick before we got back. And all of a sudden, my my Apple Watch started going nuts as our as the elevator was going back upstairs because I missed a Seager home run. Yeah, um, and it's, it's then, funny. they've only played they've only played five road games in the postseason, three in two thousand one, and then two this year. And in three of those yeah. five, this has happened to them. So, uh, you know, I mean, we 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 certainly there were a lot of similarities. Uh, I remember seeing one of the posts uh, between the L one series and this one. Um, George W. Bush throwing out a first pitch, Randy Johnson and uh, uh, Luis Gonzalez uh, throwing out a first pitch in one. There were a few. Oh, the dates lined up too. The dates of the games oh, the lined dates. up perfectly. And that was 2001 was the first World Series uh, ever that went into November, obviously, because of 9-11. Yeah. Um, and then this year, they just – was this year the first year in a while? I feel like they, they went to a bunch of – I know 09 was, it went into November. There were a, Oh, no, they've been, been going into November pretty consistently. They've pretty yeah. – like almost every year it goes – I mean, last year it did. 2017, I know it did. It, it goes into November almost every year now because of uh, how they how MLB spaces games out. Like I think – since 2001, if I had to venture a guess, I'd say like 18 of the World Series since then have gone into November. Oh yeah, yeah. I I remember there was there was one year that they made a um a dedicated effort to try and not go into November, and there was a lot of complaints. Like teams had to structure their rotations differently. Like there was a lot of complaints amongst the players, um, and then all of a sudden they just went back and it was like, all right, whatever. Like. It great, you know, we're we're not going into like the end of November. You know, it's it's yeah. the first week. So, let me ask you this: Do you think that, like, you know, you mentioned it was one of the lowest watched? Do you think the ratings does that even matter? Like, what do we what do we care about television ratings? Because I mean, if you want to, if it's, you really yeah. want to, like, dig into it, in the seventies, thirty million people were watching the World Series, but there wasn't, you know, not everybody had cable in the seventies, and also I don't know how much I, because I'm ignorant of this because I don't give this much weight. I don't right. know how streaming and things like that play into like multiple accounts, one device, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how that plays into um, these ratings. As far as I know, and I, I pay a little bit more attention to it because I, I listen to the Michael K show as a podcast and it's literally a podcast broken into the hours of the live radio show each day for a long time. The Michael K show was lower on the radio rankings because they didn't take streaming into effect. Mm -hmm. And now radio advertising numbers literally are separated by people who listen on the radio, people who listen on streaming. Um, and we're talking like live streaming, like ESPN New York has the ESPN New York app. Mm -hmm. um, and then who listens on podcast, etc. As far as I know, the numbers that were shared in this are only on who is watching on cable, which it's, it is difficult to say because how many people are watching on streaming? How many people are using their parents' cable networks? Like yeah. I personally pay for cable. Um, I do it because I want to be able to watch games live and not have that, you know, seven or eight second Couple delay. Second delay yeah. Um, so I, I think we do have to take it with a grain of salt, right? It, it is the lowest ranked ever. Um, and like we know that cable numbers continue to go down. Which... Yeah, and I guess I mean as we mentioned, the viewership has been going down. These ratings numbers have been going down for the World Series every year for the last I don't know fifteen 20, since since twenty sixteen. I know because twenty sixteen was one of the first times the World Series 
viewership numbers went up over the prior year. And it was largely because the Cubs were in it. Uh, and right. it was everybody thought, are they going to break the curse? And they did. But then the next year, 2017, Dodgers Astros, it goes down. 2018, down. 2019, down. 2020, obviously a COVID year, significantly down. I believe 21, it went back up. And then 22, last year's World Series was the first time in a full season since 2016 that the ratings actually went up year over year for a World Series. Uh, so I, I don't know that we, I, the, 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 you know, there was, there was something about playoff shares I read not too long ago. Like playoff shares are going up every year too. And a lot of that comes from gate revenue. Um, so people are going to these games. People are watching these games. It's uh, baseball is d- despite, uh, you know, what's the, what's that uh, saying? Rumors of my demise are, you know, heavily, heavily overstated. However it is, I'm definitely misquoting it, but that's baseball's making plenty of money. They're doing just fine. Um, but they're, that, oh, we'll yeah. talk more and I'm sure, I'm sure we'll talk more in a future podcast about the, the impending doom of the streaming, uh, uh, or I guess the RSN bubble that's going to pop. But with that, yes, with, uh, we with mentioned sports, well, not just Bally, but it's like diamond sports groups. I can't, can't remember if those are the same entities, but there's, there's a couple there's of different ton, entities. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, those contracts are coming due, uh, and some are already getting out of them, but yep. So Texas wins five games. Seager gets his second world series MVP in as many world series appearances, my pick finally paid off. I picked against Texas the whole postseason. I finally went with them. Uh, they were obviously the favorite. They won. You uh, you tried to keep riding that Arizona train and were derailed. Um, but that's all right. We're moving on to the offseason. And one of the biggest news items for the Astros this offseason is that there's a new manager in town. They hired Joe Espada, the former bench coach. He had been in the organization since 2018, filling the bench coach vacancy left by Alex Cora leaving and going to the Boston Red Sox. Uh, my opinion, I said this to you, and I, I don't remember if I mentioned it on our previous one we discussed when, when we discussed Baker leaving, but I think Espada was the right hire. I think he gives them a ton of continuity. Uh, a lot of there's not a the continuity in terms of not only culture but staff itself. As I mentioned, he's been there since 2018. Um, and he pretty much his hiring pretty much guarantees, as far as I can tell, the return of um, both hitting coaches, Alex Cintron, Troy Snitker, both pitching coaches, Josh Miller, Bill Murphy, first base coach, Omar Lopez, third base coach, Gary Pettis. Sounds like they're all going to come back. The only I think the only hole he's trying to fill right now is who's going to be his bench coach. He's still trying to figure that out. And that could be an internal. Yep. I could see him putting Omar Lopez there as his bench coach. Uh, Lopez has, from what I understand, hopes of of managing one day he managed uh in the uh, world baseball classic and i think it was venezuela but um yeah and he apparently got gary pettis to return to the staff gary pettis was apparently very close to leaving and going to join the angels with ron washington staff uh i'm surprised i thought pettis might retire but he was apparently almost out the door and um got him to stick around so that shows i think that shows a lot of confidence um from the staff and again i think the continuity not only in terms of staffing, but in terms of culture that he provides, having been there for as long as he has. It was, uh, it was a good hire. I think he was due, and he deserved it, and um, he's ready. Yeah, I, w- I would completely agree. And uh, if, if, if I remember correctly, uh, we recorded our last podcast the day that it was officially announced that Dusty was retiring. Um, mm-hmm. The Astros sent out a very nice uh, thank you post um, shot with him and the World Series trophy from 22. Um, you know, Joe Espada was, I mean, he, he interviewed uh, with the Yanks 
uh, after Joe Girardi and the Yanks uh, parted ways. Um, you know, I, I think if the Astros didn't hire him, I think they would have lost him to another managerial job. I'm not quite sure where. I mean, I, I think, uh, I mean, obviously Craig Council signing with the Cubs, that was a big one that I don't think a lot of people saw coming. Not at all. Um, uh, and obviously David Ross, I mean, speculation is swirling of where he's going to go. He'll probably end up being a bench coach. Um, the Yankee job is available. I've seen some things with, with uh, him potentially going to Houston, potentially going to Boston. Uh, d- we'll d- see. But d- David Ross said, he, I think he's going to sit a year out. He said he, he wants the, he wants the reins. He's not going to take. Oh, I'm sure he does. Yeah. Job. But it sounds like he's going to either sit a year out or take a, a manager job. I don't I, he, Now maybe he won't be able to get one in the next turn after the 24 season. And then he'll take a, a supplementary role. But I think he's basically looked at, I, I, I don't know. I don't have any reason. I don't have any insources. I'm not an insider. Right. But uh, I bet he, based on how things went down in Chicago, I bet he's a little, a little torn, a little upset. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think with that, he's looking at it as, well, I just got canned. I can do nothing for a year and still make money on the contract that they owe me. uh, Or I can go be a manager and try and stick it to him. And I think those are where he's looking at. I don't know. I don't know his motivations. I've never met the man, but that's yeah. just kind of my 10,000 foot perspective. Right. But um, uh, yeah, back, back to a spot quickly, you know, I think, I think if the, if, if the Astros didn't hire him, he, he had plenty of opportunities, right? He could have gone to Milwaukee, uh, could have signed with, uh, with uh, the, the angels where Ron Washington ended up going. Um, the Mets hadn't hired. Uh, oh, I'm blanking Mendoza. on his name. Uh, Carlos, Carlos Mendoza. Um, so I, I think he would have gotten a job elsewhere quickly. He's well-respected around the game. He's clearly been learning under uh, Dusty Baker, who I, has definitely solidified his Hall of Fame case. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think it's it's a hiring that is is very well-earned. Um, and, I, you know, he's, he's, in, he's, he's not being asked to run a team that is trying to build up, right? Like we look at like Brandon Hyde, uh, who, I mean, kudos to the Orioles management. They hired him and basically said, you know, listen, we're not going to fire you as long as you develop this team. We're not going to fire you because you're, you're, you know, you're doing poorly. You're not expecting to win right now. Espada is inheriting a good team. Um, and he's learned and he's been there, right? To your point, yep. it's, it's continuity and uh, he should do a great job. Yeah. Just the last couple of things on the Astros hiring Joe Espada to be the manager. I'm, you know, we talked about he's been prepped for this. I think he's due. I think he's ready. Dusty Baker was letting him run spring training, programming drills, et cetera, kind of scheduling everybody's days for at least the last two years, if I'm not mistaken. And to your point about he would have gotten a job elsewhere, I'm not, I'm not sure. It's tough to say. It's again, that's not me saying I don't think he deserved the shot. I've kind of been on record that I think he he deserves his chance, and I was surprised he didn't get one sooner. He interviewed within the last couple off seasons elsewhere. Uh, I think he interviewed with Miami before Skip Schumacher got the job. And he was ultimately passed over. I was glad that he didn't leave the organization. And I think, I don't know this again. I don't have inside information. I think there was a lot of sentiment within the organization that he deserved it and that he had kind of been, you know, biding his time or staying loyal, whatever you want to call it to get his job because it was kind of uh, you know, Dusty's there to, to write the ship, win a championship, maybe win another, but was kind of on the way out. And even Dusty Baker said in his post-conference that he had kind of made up his mind halfway through the year and he had started telling people this was it for him. He was going for the second ring, and if he didn't get it, he was done. 
managing anyway. Uh, and I, I bet Espada knew that. And so, you know, we will never know necessarily what all the inside conversations were. Some of those jobs started filling up, right? Like council came off the market. Um, I want to say Washington went to Anaheim. So some of those jobs yep. started filling up before Espada got announced, announced, but I don't know. We'll never, I don't know if we'll ever get the full story of how it was, you know, if it was a spot or bust and they were just doing due diligence on other people or how it worked out, but I'm happy for him. And yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing him solidify his staff and I'm, I'm looking forward to them trying to run it back. As you mentioned, this isn't a, this isn't a rebuild position. This is a keep the lights on, keep the wheels moving kind of thing. So let's transition into what is probably the biggest off season story for the Yankees so far or off season news, I should say, and will probably be the biggest offseason story for at least another 24 hours before Garrett Cole wins his presumptive Cy Young. And that is the Brian Cashman, Giancarlo Stanton agent story. I'm going to let you tackle this one. Fill us in what's happened uh, from both camps, and uh, let's get your take. Yeah, um, we're, we're going to take a step. We're going we're gonna to go one step back. Uh, to start the Brian Cashman story, and it's been covered at nauseum by the media, some in support of it, some in not. Brian Cashman at the at the GM meetings uh, before they broke up due to it looked like a crazy food poisoning. Yeah, like um, that everybody. Yeah, like half the people in attendance ended up getting this thing. Like I heard an interview with Buster Olney. He's like, I was not there. Thank God. Um, a lot of handshaking, a lot of handshaking. Maybe we need to transition back to like with some elbows. really nasty nugs. Yeah. yeah. Like Brian Cashman went on a, what, uh, what is being called a not so Yankee and also fuck everybody rant um, to, uh, to the, uh, the, the media in general, but prompted uh, from questions from, uh, generally well-received uh, New York Post uh, baseball writer, Joel Sherman, uh, about the Yankees, quote, analytically driven organization. Um, some of the quotes that came out of that, no one's doing their deep dives. They're just throwing bullshit and accusing us of being run analytically. To be said, uh, we're guided by analytic. Uh, to be said that we're being guided by analytics as a driver is a lie. I think we're pretty fucking good personally, and I'm proud of our people. He had other comments about player development, defending some of the trades that he's made, defending uh, some of the players that didn't work out, defending injuries. And it was kind of a massive fuck you to fans. Um, At a certain point, he defended why they made the trades for Joey Gallo and Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray is a finalist for the AL Cy Young. He's probably not going to win. He deserves to be a finalist. Um, and if Cole didn't have the season that he did, I would say that he was probably deserving of the award um, over Kevin Gosman. Uh, and I, I fully expect Sonny Gray to come in second. That said, like, you're defending this by saying that, like, the, the analytics people are the ones who made these recommendations. Why are you throwing this out at fans when we all can see what's been happening over the last couple of years? Like, this isn't a question on if Brian Cashman has a Hall of Fame resume. He has five World Series rings. He took over as general manager going into the 1998 season. So going into the 3 P. 
he was the assistant GM for 96. Yeah. Did he not develop the, did he not build the team with the core four? Sure. But he still deserves a shit ton of the credit for the teams that he did build in 98, 99 and 2000 and 2009. He also deserves a shit ton of blame for a lot of the moves that they've made over the last couple of years that have not worked out. You can't defend anything in terms of getting Joey Gallo. The guy hit below 200, almost below 150 at certain points, didn't hit home runs, had struggles with defense because he mentally couldn't handle New York. And Great, we got a, a, a decent prospect back in Clayton Beater from the Dodgers, but even the Dodgers couldn't make anything of him, and he was left off the roster for the Twins this past season. So why are you defending getting Joey Gallo? Like, it was a bad trade. We gave up a, a, a fair amount of talent to get him from Texas. Sonny Gray couldn't pitch in New York. Frankie Montas, uh, when acquired was injured when we got him. We knew he had a shoulder issue. Harrison Bader, even though we probably don't win the series against Cleveland, was in a walking boot with plantar fasciitis when we acquired him. So to say that it's all bullshit and that you are you have one of the smallest analytics departments in the AL East, give me a fucking break. Like, don't slap the fans because we're pissed at you because a lot of the moves that you've made in the last couple of years by listening to the analytics folks that are great. Every team uses analytics, but don't tell us that we don't know what we're talking about when you guys aren't doing what you're supposed to be doing. Even in 2022, when we won the AL East, the only player that was hitting efficiently was Aaron judge who won the MVP after breaking the American league home run record. So Let's fast forward then to another, ultimately, what's going to turn into a black mark for uh, Brian Cashman, which is the, the trade for Giancarlo Stanton. I, lo- I love Giancarlo. I think, he's a, I think he's a really fun player. He's handled New York way better than a lot of people expected. He said, Brian Cashman said something accurate yesterday, and I would love to get your take on this, of how to deal with it publicly. He said that that Stanton inevitably will get hurt, and that's a part of his game. And then his agent comes back and says, free agents, both domestically and internationally, should pay attention to this because you're going to have to be made of Teflon in order to handle playing in New York. He represents Yamamoto coming over from Japan. Like, what the fuck are you doing? If great, if you if you want to, I, I uh, yesterday on the Michael K show they they said there's only three outcomes here. You either think you want to get fired, you want to get Stanton to waive his blanket no trade clause, which he did utilize in leaving Miami. He mm-hmm. turned down deals to the Cardinals and the Giants, I believe, before he was traded, and he wants to go back to Southern California. If like, those are the teams that he would allow a trade to, or you're trying to motivate him. But, like, I'm not sure what you're supposed to motivate with. So, that's a little bit of a tirade. I've seen that, that Hal Steinbrenner has basically said, 
we appreciate that he's defending the Yankees and he's defending the staff and they are making adjustments and yada, yada, yada. But at a certain point, like, I mean, maybe they're just not worried about season ticket sales. Maybe they're not, they, they, they just all, they, they always think that like, I mean, we, we, I, I redoed my tickets, Yeah, but there was a fire Brian Cashman rally at a game late last season. So uh, here's what I'll say. One, I don't have as much of an issue with Cashman defending, you know, what he feels are inaccurate um, perceptions of the organization, because I think part of the job of GM is taking the direct hits. Um, You have to go out there. You have to be, it's almost like a manager, right? Like, you know, it's kind of, I think we saw Dusty do this a couple times in Houston where there'd be some, like the batter's eye thing. And he'd kind of come out and say, ah, I don't really buy into that. He's not saying that because he's like, my hitters are just making excuses. He's like, no, like we can't, we can't have these things distract us. I'll just come out and say, we're just doing bad right now. It's no big deal. We'll get over it. We can't let this stuff, you know, invade our perception. And I think part of that is him, is Cashman sticking up for his guys that he hired his staff, you know, and that his his support staff hired. Um, part of it is defending his job. He ha- I mean, he has to do that. He can't just say, yep. Right. Oh, shucks. I'm pretty bad. I don't think he's trying, you know, I, I think that those remarks, I think are just him trying to stop, stand up for his, his staff, defend his job. I, I was surprised that he made the comment. I don't think, I don't know. Again, I don't know the man. I don't know his thought process. I think this was more of a slip than an actual calculated like barb like to sit because what he what the, what, the stanton he, comment yeah about like if that's part of his game or he's gonna get injured again like i think that he's there's a better way to go about that and what he what he you know armchair quarterbacking this armchair gming this and with hindsight i think what he probably ought to have said was you know, this is another year we've run into some injury issues. We've really got to recalculate because injuries are going to happen. We have players that are just going to get hurt. It's just how it works. That's baseball. If he did that, everybody kind of can read between the lines of like Stanton's going to get hurt. Judge probably going to get hurt in some capacity, right? I I, I know that maybe he'll break another accident. wall. Yeah, I know there's the freak accident, but these things happen. This isn't the first time he's been hurt, Judge or Stanton, right? Um, and freak accidents happen. I mean, Altuve missed a significant amount of time this year. Alvarez missed time oh, this yeah. year. Like the, the injuries happen. And, and, and as we talked about in prior episodes, like you can't just keep depending on 95th percentile outcomes for players. You can't just keep saying, we're going to get the very best version of Matt Carpenter all year. Roll those dice, run it back again. You know what I mean? You can't do uh, uh, Rizzo's going to have a freak injury. Like those things happen. You can't always predict them but you can do well to provide yourself better depth to absorb them better um, with. And I understand there to some extent there's con- confines of CBT numbers and, and budgets and, and just what's available and what's smart. But I think that's what he was trying to say. I think his point, the, the valid point in, within what he said is we have guys that are just going to get hurt. They're injury prone. I don't think you need to go out and say this guy in particular is injury prone and to characterize it as part of his game, like this isn't, you know, this isn't football. This isn't a running back who's a bruiser who you're like, we need to get a, we need to get, you know, we need to go out and sign a backup running back because part of that physical style of our starting running back is that he's going to get hurt. 
And that, yeah. you know, that sounds way more tame in my book. If you were to say, like, I'm trying to think of a good example, but if you were to say like, you know, Dalvin Cook is going to get hurt because of the style he plays. We love that about him. We understand that risk. We're not going to pull the, we're not going to tell him to change his game. We might change some of his reps to try and minimize that possibility, but the nature of his game, the nature of the human body, he's going to get hurt because of the physical way he plays. We love that about him. We just want to try to manage it. And what we're going to do is we're going to start giving Alexander Madison more carries to offset that yep. risk. That's the way to package it where you can say that's that thing. But again, this isn't, you know, I don't know what part of Stanton's game he's referring to. It's not like, you know, it's not like Stanton's running into walls, making, you know, diving catches or jumping catches or stealing a lot of bases where it's like, yeah, he's putting wicked strain on those hammies. You know, it was, uh, who was it? Buxton, right? Buxton had a hamstring injury where it was like, He's uh or no excuse me I'm thinking of Royce um Royce Lewis with uh, Minnesota where Royce he had Lewis, a hamstring yeah. injury and it completely took away the running game like he was not even getting leads at some points he was just kind of standing right next to the base or jogging out any hit whether it was a ground ball or a base hit he was jogging it out because they didn't want to risk that injury it's not like that's Stanton's game right like he's not stealing bases he's not you know we 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 talked about him kind of getting hosed on some plays this year so that was a that was a curious comment um I. You know, maybe he's trying, maybe it's calculated. I don't know. Again, I don't know the man. Um, I do think that they're probably trying to shop him. I, I just, I think that, you know, with that comment, if I'm a rival executive GM, I now know, or at least I now think like I can go get Stanton if I want him. Um, but I also kind of look at it as the price might be lower too, because it, he's not very happy there now. Um, and again, I don't know Giancarlo Stanton. I don't know his agent, but I know that I might not be too happy hearing that from my general manager and, and maybe they don't care. Maybe, maybe that, you know, that we don't know what locker rooms are like. Maybe, you know, there might be like true dividing lines between front office and locker room. And that might also be something that Aaron Boone rallies his guys around. He might go to John Carl and be like, you know, the best way to like stick it to this guy is to go out and win, a, you know, win another silver slugger, win another fucking, you know, home run, like lead the league in homers or something like that. Where he's gotta he's gotta give you praise now after he just said that about you, maybe that's how he helps him rally. I don't know, but that's that's my take. Yeah, well, and and that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, he's uh, he's got four years with with this upcoming season. He's got four years and ninety eight million dollars left on on the contract that was originally given by the Marlins. I've seen a bunch of speculation of like, could there be a similar deal uh, to the the Boston deal where you're trading Mookie. Uh, to the Dodgers and also throwing in David Price and they threw in, the Red Sox threw in David Price so that the Dodgers would eat half a salary, um, which is insane to me because the return for Mookie Betts to Boston was awful. Yeah, it's um, crazy when you realize that uh, the 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 Dodgers also got Bruce Star Gratterall as part of that deal, a big a uh, big prospect. <laughs> I love it. the original deal. I forget how it, how it all played out, but like Bruce Gratterall was supposed to go to the Red Sox too. From the Twins. And the yeah. Twins. Yeah, and the Twins were like, we don't want, like the Red Sox were like throwing something else in. Um, and the Twins were like, oh no, I think, I think, didn't it was the, Red the Red Sox, Sox didn't want him? They, no, they said they didn't yeah, the want Red Sox because it. of his shoulder. And that came out a couple days after. And a lot of people speculated that it was their attempt to just put the, uh, you know, put the kibosh on the whole trade because they were getting roasted for it. And yeah. so they nixed uh, Gratterall. 
the Dodgers upped their prospect package and sent Jeter Downs to Boston instead. Uh, and I think they right. sent Kenta Maeda then to Minnesota to make it. I mean, maybe Maeda was always involved, but basically to, to make things all work out, the Dodgers said, we'll take Bruce Starr. Minnesota, you still get Maeda. And Boston, to compensate you in addition to Verdugo, here's Jeter we'll Downs, Jeter a Downs. higher rated prospect than we were going to give you from the get-go. Are we good now? I mean, Jeter Downs is on the Nationals, and he's not even on the big league roster, I don't think. And Verdugo, as we'll get yeah. to in our later topics, is like being shopped uh, as a trade piece because he's not. Things aren't working out uh, clubhouse wise. I think uh, there. Uh, speaking of Alex Verdugo, uh, it came out. I want to say like a, maybe a week ago, ten days ago, uh, that the Yankees inquired about Verdugo's availability uh, at, near the deadline last year, and the Red Sox tentatively were like, "Well, I don't know if we're like." really shopping them this year. Like we also yeah. sort of like labor Torres. And then like, obviously people lost their shit. Like Yankee fans lost their shit. Like, wow, how could you treat labor Torres? Well, we Like I, I wouldn't make that deal one for one, but I, I kind of like Alex Redugo as a player. I mean, I think he's an absolute dirtbag, but um, I think he's a good player though. Uh, he does have some, I mean, I, I'm not, I, I've never really understood why he's probably better defensively. And I've never really looked at his defensive metrics. Um, but he's probably a better center fielder than playing center in Fenway and dealing yeah. with that triangle. I think he's ultimately a uh, corner outfielder, but I think yeah. um, he can, in a pinch, he can play center for you. As I recall, he seems to have a pretty good arm, but obviously I think the Yankee appeal uh, is that he bats left-handed. He ba- Yeah, he bats left-handed. We need a left fielder. Um, right now we need a, a left left fielder and a center fielder uh, to uh, uh, to fill in for the Martian uh, while he recovers from Tommy John, he's not going to play. I mean, maybe he'll play center field near the end of next season. Yeah. Um, but we'll get into that in a future episode. Yeah. And I, I also don't think the Red Sox are going to make a deal of substance like that with the Yanks. Um, now, yeah. the, 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 the deal that I always think of when it comes to Yankees, Red Sox trades is, uh, I don't remember. I think, it, I think the Yankees traded Steven drew to the Red Sox for Kelly Johnson. Oh yes. Uh, and both were hitting like well under 200. Both were horribly on the defensive side. And it was like one yeah, of those yeah. trades where like, why didn't they just both release the players? Yeah. And I think also too, uh, I mean, obviously we, everybody thinks about the Babe Ruth trade, but um, there was also at yeah. some point in the like early 2000s, I feel like Juan Acevedo or something went but from one of the teams. So he's one of those guys that just like, he was just bouncing around the East. It seems like, and I feel like he got traded from Boston to New York at one point or like alongside another kind of middling middle relief pitcher. They just swapped, swapped guys with five ERAs and 1.3 whips kind of thing. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's neighbors taking out their trash and being like, I could use that. Yeah. (laughs) Don't recycle that. Uh, But with that, let's get into award season. So as we were getting into earlier, we've got MVP and Cy Young still to be announced. We'll go into those that have won in just a moment already, and we'll get to some of the Silver Sluggers and the Gold Gloves. But uh, we've got ALMVP finalists Shohei Otani, Corey Seager, Marcus Semien. Those are to be announced uh, tonight, Wednesday the 15th. And I want to know who is your pick to win the ALMVP? Uh, I am going to go with, uh, with Otani. Um, I know his pitching season was cut a little short. He was having a, a pretty decent season uh, when that happened, uh, but his offensive numbers speak for themselves. 
uh, I, I am, I'm thinking that Otani is a, is a pretty much a lock. Not to say that Seager and Semyon aren't, um, but I, I, I got Otani on this. How about you? Yeah, same Otani. Pretty easy choice. NL MVP of finalists, Acuna Jr., Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman. Those are going to be announced uh, as well tonight on Wednesday, November 15th. Who do you got there? Uh, I got Acuna. I, I don't know. Uh, he finished 40 and 70. First time in history. It, that's it. Yep, I agree. I'm with you there too. Acuna, uh, definitely the one I think that takes that home. And then let's get to Cy Young's. I think we all know who you're picking at the AL Cy Young. Finalists are Garrett Cole, Kevin Gosman, and Sonny Gray. Yep, yeah. Uh, Cole all the way. Um, I think he solidified that at the end of the season. I think there, 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 was definitely a, there was definitely a series, I think it was the last series of the year in September, where Cole could have maybe had like two starts left. And Gosman gave up like three runs and Cole threw a complete game two hit shutout. Um, his numbers overall, I mean, he, he just did so well. Uh, I got Cole on this. I'm taking Cole too. And actually, okay, I'm going to contradict you here. Apparently, I was looking this up. The Cy Youngs are tonight on the 15th. The 15th is Cy oh, they are. The MVP is tomorrow, the 16th. So either way, let's be honest, by the time this gets published, you're going to know at least the Cy Youngs, uh, and maybe even the MVPs. But anyhow, uh, NL Cy Young now, Zach Gallen, Blake Snell, Logan Webb. Who you got? Uh, I think I'm going uh, – It's. I don't think Webb – Webb had a nice season. I don't think he necessarily deserves to be a, a finalist. I think Gallen's got this. Wow. Um, yeah. I, I haven't looked too deeply into the numbers – I, like Snell is a very nice pitcher. Uh, he didn't didn't he miss a little bit of time? I think he did, but he also doesn't uh, famously not not a much, ton, but yeah, and and famously much to the chagrin of uh, all of the Twitter managers, he usually doesn't pitch very deep in games, so he goes five or six innings tops, uh, and he missed a little bit of time, so his innings counts aren't as high as uh gallons but i'm actually going with blake snell so here's the thing that's frustrating about blake snell blake snell has better strikeout numbers than gallon i'm pretty sure let me double check that so, so gallon struck out 220 across 210 innings blake snell struck out 234 across 180 innings so you know 40 la- 40 your, almost 40 for your innings and uh more case Snell also had more war, more pitching war than Zach Gallen. Six versus 4.3, according to baseball reference. He had a better ERA, but again, as we mentioned, he did pitch fewer innings and he actually had a higher whip than Gallen. What's odd, this is what makes Blake Snell so frustrating is he walks so many people that just don't end up scoring. He's, he's almost too fine around the zone. Like he's, he's so uh, accurate and pinpoint that he just nibbles so much to try and like he, he, it's almost like he doesn't want to throw uh, over the heart strike. He'd rather throw two balls on the like bottom left corner of the zone and then a strike at the bottom left corner of the zone and then induce a ground ball on the next pitch. Like rather than try to sneak an early fastball by, he'd rather just nibble around the edge and hope that you're going to chase or swing at a pitch and put it in play for an out. So that's why I think his whip numbers don't look as sharp uh, as you would expect. Uh, let's transition into the awards that have been won so far. AL Rookie of the Year won by Gunnar Henderson. He beat out Tanner Bybee 
and Tristan Casas. Uh, Yiner Diaz of the Astros came in fifth, and Anthony Volpe came in eighth. Uh, what, what, let's go. What are your thoughts here? Uh, any surprise that Gunner won it? No, not at all. Um, I thought around midseason. Um, I mean, Casas was definitely coming on. He he started off the season um, okay. I mean, he was struggling a little bit. Uh, Gunnar Henderson pretty much all year played with how we expected. Um, and I, I felt that he continued to do well and just continue to improve. And um, yeah, no, no, absolutely no surprises. Did you think anyone else should have gotten? It's not. So my, I, I don't, I don't have an issue with Gunner winning it at all. Um, and this is probably a little bit of Houston bias. And I definitely think if Yiner Diaz had gotten more playing time, which was, you know, a big rallying cry, uh, of Astros right. fans and a, criti- a criticism of Dusty Baker throughout the year, um, as he referred to them as, you know, criticisms from bloggers and tweeters. Um, he didn't give Di- Yiner enough playing time, and Yiner still posted a really impressive season. He had a higher OPS and higher OPS plus than Gunnar Henderson in about 200 and change fewer at bats. Um, I think, you know, if he gets a more full, in- full playing time role, he's definitely a finalist. I don't know if he would have beat Gunnar out. Gunner has the has you know the value of being able to play um, defense and rack up some nice defensive metrics and things like that, um, and that's not to that's not undercut him. That's just the nature of how it is, right? Um, and Yiner's a good catcher. I think he's pretty good um, uh, pop time and good caught stealing percentage, but there's less opportunity for him to dazzle behind the plate the, in, in the minds of the voter. Whereas Gunner, you know, and also Gunner adds um, a lot more. Uh, electricity on the base pass. I think he had you know, double-digit steals, which is not insane, but that's something Yanner Diaz is not going to do. Um, I was also kind of surprised Volpe didn't get um, a higher finish. Um, I know he struggled offensively, but won a gold glove. He, he reminds me a lot of Jeremy Pena last year, where he he had a pretty good rookie season, all things considered, but it's just not a rookie of the year um, flashy season. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I mean, listen, I I, I thought Volpe had a nice rookie season, he definitely had his his um, he had a little bit of a roller coaster season offensively. He performed far better defensively than anyone expected, um, and rightfully earned that Gold Glove. Uh, but he, at one point, he was really starting to get it offensively, and then I would say the last last month and a half of the season, uh, he he was struggling offensively a lot. Um, he would still, you know, he would hit a home run here and there. He would get on the base paths. I'm not quite sure why he only got to how many stolen bases he had uh, at the end of the year. Like he had 15, like the end of May, he finished with 24 stolen bases. Yeah. Wow. He went. So through May 13th, he had 13 stolen bases. He did not steal another base until June 6th. Yeah. It it was strange too, because it wasn't like, I mean, he, he showed a pretty good eye. I mean, and on base of 283, you definitely want higher. Higher than that. Threes. Yeah. Um. But he. Uh. It was a weird stretch where he was getting on. Like you, you would have like a two-week stretch where he had like an on-base of like just under four, and he wouldn't be. You know, he'd be on first base, and it was like they were telling him to not go, because you wouldn't see the same. Like uh, at the beginning of the year, he was doing he was doing his best Jackie Robinson impression, which you saw a lot of a lot of players with the the, the larger bases doing that. Um, of like dancing, dancing off the bag and trying to get like the best jump. 
all of a sudden he wasn't doing that. And I'm not sure if there was some sort of organizational thing or team meeting where it's like distracting. Cause I remember it being mentioned once, like some anal- one of the color commentators, not on the yes network, it was on a national broadcast said, what about John Smoltz? Um, that it would be distracting doing that off second base. And I'm like, give me a break, dude. Like if it means he's going to get a good jump, call it a day. Yeah, I could see a right-handed hitter saying it's like making it hard for them to focus, in which case. But if you have a lefty up there, but as we've talked about famously, the Yankees don't have a lot of lefties, so maybe that is the uh, yeah. maybe that is the culprit. Uh, then we got rookie, let's transition rookie of the year for the NL. Corbin Carroll beats out Kodai Senga and James Outman. Uh, no complaints here from me. Carroll was the clear winner. Uh, I know Mets fans love uh, Kodai Senga, and he's solid, but Corbin Carroll was a catalyst for Arizona all year, and I think you saw that yep. in the World Series when he went relatively quiet, and it definitely hurt their offense. They scored one run in Game 3, and they got shut out in Game 5. Sure, kudos go to Texas for pitching and how they managed that game, uh, but you know he wasn't, he wasn't the electric, uh, as-advertised player on offense that he had been all year. And that clearly impacted that offense that relied so much on stealing bases, advancing first to third, things like that. Uh, James Altman is a perfectly fine outfielder. He ended up getting platooned most of the year as a left-handed hitter. He started really hot. I remember his April and May was pretty good, um, but he faded and, and yeah. again, he got platooned and he's a, he's a good rookie. Another, another good rookie, um, uh, will be a contributor, I think for, for the next couple of years for the Dodgers. So, um, no, no surprises for me here. How about you? No, no, no surprises. Uh, managers of the year, Brandon Hyde for Baltimore, Skip Schumacher in Miami. Skip Schumacher one is interesting um, because it sounds like there's some some rumblings between a disconnect possibly with that front office and um, who's going to take over now that Kim Ng has left. But that's kind of speculation. We don't know anything. But good for Skip Schumacher winning that, getting Miami back to the postseason. Uh, I will say the only surprise of these, I I get why Skip Schumacher won it. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, the cynicism in me is surprised um, Snicker, Brian Snicker of Atlanta did not win it just because of how, in my opinion, and as I said many times, they were the best team in baseball kind of start wire to wire uh, all year until the yeah. postseason. Um, but I thought that their kind of sheer dominance and, and stranglehold on – the record best record in baseball and how again like i said wire to wire i thought that was going to win it for him but and again you also have to remember too uh, the other finalist was craig council in the nl you have to remember that the voting is done at the end of the regular season before the postseason starts yep, so it's always anything before that happens yeah. after does not come into play i having said that i was still kind of surprised tory lovello didn't become a finalist uh over craig council or maybe even over skip schumacher but I think people gave rightfully so probably skip a little bit more credit for navigating that uh, very difficult uh, NL East. Um, but you can say the same thing about Lavello. I know Lavello's won it before. I think he won it in 2017. So maybe that was held against him. Um, and again, maybe it's also, again, it's a tough call because any argument I think you make in favor of Skip Schumacher, you have to make for Lavello, which is nobody seemed to want to win that wild card, those two wild card spots that weren't Philadelphia's. Um, and those are the guys that got in. But Council's obviously a good manager. Chicago recognizes that. Milwaukee recognizes that. The Mets, I think, were in on him too. Astros went on him. So I think he was a deserving finalist. But I was still kind of surprised Lavello, Lavello wasn't a finalist and that, again, cynically surprised Snicker didn't just get it um, because of how good the Raves were. But I know a lot of times these awards are – Manager of the Year awards often like 
who's the best team that was terrible last year? That's the manager of the year. Yeah, and they, and I feel like they always tend to do that. Um, I I agree with you. Um, I think Schumacher deserves it, but I think there were other there were other pieces at play. I'm not gonna you know I'm not gonna double down on what you're saying. Um, but I think na- navigating the NL East, though, uh, you know, Braves were were great from start to finish until the playoffs. I'm not going to try to take it away from uh, from Schumacher. So, all right. So that'll bring us to our Gold Gloves and Silver Slugger awards. So we'll just go through those real quick. In the American League, we've got Jose Barrios from the Toronto Blue Jays at pitcher. Jonah Heim, Texas Rangers. Nathaniel Lowe, Texas Rangers. Andres Jimenez, Cleveland Guardians. He also got the Platinum Glove. Shortstop Anthony Volpe from the Yankees. And as we mentioned, another rookie shortstop with a gold glove after Jeremy Pena. Third base, Matt Chapman, Toronto. Left field, Stephen Kwan, the chosen Kwan from Cleveland Guardians. Center field, Kevin Kiermeyer, Toronto Blue Jays. Right field, Adolis Garcia from the Texas Rangers. And the utility glove to Mauricio Dubon of the Houston Astros. Uh, any thoughts, any reactions there? You know, I, I have I, I I never try to argue any of the the gold gloves. I, I ultimately think the people who get the players that get these are deserving of them. Um, so yeah, no real thoughts. I wasn't surprised by anybody, uh, and I'm ultimately hoping, uh, which we'll talk about obviously next episode, that Kevin Kiermeyer is wearing pinstripes next season uh, on a one year deal to play center for the Yanks. Got it, got it. Yeah, I was glad to see Mauricio Dubon. I thought he did a great job filling in for Altuve this year, defensively and offensively to an extent. Um, and then, yeah, once once Altuve came back, he was you know filling in at uh, outfield position, outfield position throughout the year. So that was I was happy for him. Um, I was surprised probably by only Volpe, but not because I didn't think he was good defensively, just because. It's it's always surprising to me when a rookie gets recognition. It's usually it, it right. seems like it's one of those things where it's like you got to have more than one good year to get it. So I was surprised that Pena won one last year. I'm surprised Volpe. And again, it's not because I don't think they deserve it. I'm, again, it's the cynic in me. I'm like, I don't know, yeah. yeah, they're not going to get the recognition they deserve till next year, kind of a thing. Uh, and yeah. I I know uh, I know Volpe. Not to cut you off, I know Volpe uh, is uh, he he led uh, he won. He's the first rookie Yankee to win a Gold Glove. Uh, to your point, uh, and two, uh, he led the American League shortstops in defensive runs saved, um, which was again surprising from Yankee fans because we were told that Oswald Peraza was the best, better defensive shortstop, but Volpe gets the ball out faster. So, NL Gold Gloves pitcher Zach Wheeler from the Philadelphia Phillies, catcher Gabriel Moreno Diamondbacks, uh, Christian Walker also from the Arizona Diamondbacks. Nico Horner, Chicago Cubs, Dansby Swanson, Chicago Cubs. Those are second base and shortstop, respectively. Third base, Key Brian Hayes from Pittsburgh. Left field, Ian Hatt from the Chicago Cubs. Center field, Brenton Doyle from the Colorado Rockies. Right field, Fernando Tatis Jr. from San Diego. He also got the platinum glove. And then utility, yes, Hassan Kim from San Diego. Any reactions to the NL Gold Glove winners? My biggest surprise was uh, how easily... Fernando Tatis Jr. went from playing shortstop to playing right field. Um, it looked like his natural position just continues to show. I mean, steroids aside, dude's pretty wild. Yeah, so. no, not, like that's that natural. I mean, he, he is a shortstop playing right field, right, um, with a very good arm, um, great, great track and a ball. My big surprises from the NL Gold Glove Awards were twofold. 
Nolan Arenado not even being a finalist was very surprising. Um, yep. Again, that's and it's not it's not because I'm saying Key Brian Hayes isn't deserving. What I'm saying is, again, this is me being cynical. It's almost like the Pro Bowl in the NFL where they always say you make the Pro Bowl one year too late and one year too long. Like you, you make it a year after you should have, and then you make it a year you probably shouldn't have, like one year extra you shouldn't have. And that's kind of what was odd with me with Arenado is I, you know, I, I, I didn't dig into his numbers, but even if they were down, the cynic in me would not be surprised if he still ended up winning one that he probably didn't deserve to win. So that was a surprise. Right. Second surprise to me, I was floored, not angrily by any means. I was blown away Hassan Kim won the utility glove because when I was reading these as they came out and saw, oh, okay, Ian Happ got one. Oh, okay. Brenton Doyle got one. Ah, Fernando Tatis got right field. I was like, surely they gave Mookie Betts the utility glove because he played right field and he played second base. And it was pretty well documented how, especially when they were platooning with lefty-righty matchups, Mookie was moving back and forth, back and forth, right field, second base. So I thought for sure that's how they're going to get him his gold glove. Like Tatis got, got, you know, platinum glove, whatever, right field. And um, these are now positional. They used to be in the past. They used to just have outfield gloves. And so – yeah three center fielders would win it because the best outfielder plays center field. Now they have it specifically position wise. So when I saw Tatis, I thought, Oh, well that, that's because Mookie got utility. So really surprised Mookie Betts didn't get the utility glove. That was a big shocker to me. Um, along with Arenado, not even being a finalist. You know what though? I will say one thing I do well, the last note on the NL gold glove, Gabriel Moreno, very deserving NL gold glove. I really dug into his yes. numbers when I was doing world series and postseason stuff. One of the, I think he was the best of among qualified catchers, caught steal rating, great pop time. Um, and I believe he also has good framing metrics. So that was, I was happy to see him uh, win that gold glove. Very deserving. Oh, yeah. And uh, what I would say is that the Toronto Blue Jays are really going to regret that trade. <laughs> yeah. <AL. laughs> Just a little bit. Oh, I mean, Lourdes Goriel had a nice little postseason too. So, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, uh, yeah. AL shortstop, or excuse me. American League Silver Sluggers. We got catcher Adley Rutschman from Baltimore Orioles. Uh, first base, Yandy Diaz, Tampa Bay Rays. Second base and shortstop go to Rangers, Marcus Semien and Corey Seager, respectively. Third base, Rafael Devers from Boston Red Sox. Outfield, Luis Robert Jr. from the Chicago White Sox. Julio Rodriguez from the Seattle Mariners. Kyle Tucker from the Houston Astros. The DH is Shohei Otani from the Los Angeles Angels. And utility, Gunnar Henderson from Baltimore. Any takes from you, Eric, on the American League Silver Sluggers? Uh, not particularly. Um, I was a little surprised, but he missed, He did miss a ton of time. Um, that that judge didn't ended up that didn't end up winning a Silver Slugger. But I'm not. I'm also going to say that I think that all three outfielders are deserving of of winning a Silver Slugger. So I'm I'm cool with this. Uh, I am a little surprised that Henderson didn't win outright, uh, over Seager. Ooh, I don't do Seager's numbers were insane. Seager, they were, if Joe Otani wasn't in the American league, Seager's probably the AL MVP. He was bananas this year. I, I actually was surprised about Gunnar Henderson getting the utility award, but that's because I didn't realize how much Gunnar bounced back and forth between short and third. Like when I saw yeah. he got the utility, I was like, oh, this is a J.D. Martinez situation where we're like, we like him so much. We're just going to give him an award. Like I, I, I didn't realize because I, I saw it first because I was looking. I was like, Gunnar Henderson, he played one position this year. Why, 
what what's this utility business like yeah sure i'm sure he played a little bit here a little bit there but 95 percent of his time but he actually split split pretty evenly uh between third and short so that that was uh yeah deserving yeah the o's the o's really enjoy uh former yankee prospect jorge mateo uh who went over to the a's i think in the sunny gray deal um who is very good defensive he's a light hitting shortstop who's very fast um Uh, yeah and then they can also play center field they they gave out an american league silver slugger team award and that went to the texas rangers um an interesting i didn't know that was a thing until i read the article it sounds like that's just going to be a thing where they give the best offensive team another award, I guess. I don't know. That's weird. Uh, <laughs> National League Silver Sluggers. Catcher William Contreras, Milwaukee Brewers. First base, Matt Olson, Atlanta Braves. Second base, Luis Arraez from the Miami Marlins. Shortstop, Francisco Lindor from the New York Mets. Third base, Austin Riley, Atlanta Braves. Outfield, Ronald Acuna Jr. from the Atlanta Braves. Mookie Betts from the Los Angeles Dodgers. Juan Soto from the San Diego Padres, the DH Bryce Harper from the Philadelphia Phillies, and the Utility Award to Cody Bellinger from the Chicago Cubs. The team award went to the Atlanta Braves, as I said, the best offensive team in baseball and obviously, therefore, in National League uh, in terms of the regular season, that is. Any surprises for you, Eric, on the National League Silver Slugger winners? My only surprise is that there wasn't an Atlanta Brave at every single position. <laughs> yeah, but Luis Arias just went ahead and you know had a great batting average season. Oh yeah, they probably would have given that to Alves. How did Sean Murphy had a terrible like August and September? Otherwise, he probably would have beat former Brave William Contreras out. Oh yeah, yeah I, I just crazy. I just thought you know it's like yeah I mean the the, the Braves certainly won enough. They the Olsen at first, Riley at third, uh, Acuna very well deserving uh in uh in the outfield um which silver sluggers are still it's three outfield, outfield positions position, yeah it's not it's yeah rather than a specific position which makes sense which makes sense yeah, yeah um yeah um so yeah i mean that that's that's really my only surprise i have no complaints here and i i do think Luis arise deserves it absolutely and i was rooting for him to hit 400 all year yeah me too and you know arcia had a great first half um lindor i was I think in our episode I was picking I picked Lindor to be the All Star uh, over Arcia, but Arcia tailed off in the second half, so that took him out of the shortstop contention. And then you know Osuna had some good numbers, Marcelo Osuna and uh, Eddie Rosario did too, but they were both too streaky and not consistent enough to get yeah. that action. Um, but yeah, still still kind of a surprise. Um, happy for Cody Bellinger getting that utility award when uh, playing center field and first base a lot for the Cubs, so that's good for him. Uh, let's move to our final topic here. Off season wish list time. What is the one move you want to see your team make this off season? And it can be very specific as you know, I want them to add this particular player, or it can be more generic. Like I want them to add a left-handed starting pitcher. So tell me what is the one move you want to see your team, the New York Yankees make this off season? The, the, the one move would be to, not only fill the holes that we have right now in, in the lineup, we're talking, you know, left field, they, hit, they need a center fielder as well, probably need a third baseman. I want them to diversify the lineup. We're too right-handed heavy. Uh, I, you know, we can talk players all you want. I want them to add some left-handed bats, and I also want them to add some batting range. Well, that's not one um, move, Eric. That's multiple moves. It's, it's, Come on. It's, 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 di- it's diversifying the lineup. Diversify the that's, lineup. That's one move. Okay. Yeah. If I, if, if if you want one player, I don't uh, want to play. You can just say like, I'll get me a left-handed bat. Just that. So it's, if I, if yeah, I get, yeah, get, one, get, get, one me, get me a left-handed bat. Uh, I won't 
go with every single person because I don't know what's going to happen with the passing of the the Padres owner. I'm blanking on his name. Um, I don't know if the Padres are going to deal Juan Soto uh, this offseason or if they're going to wait until midseason um, or sign him long term. I doubt they will. Um, I would like to see them go after to go after Cody Bellinger. Uh, Rizzo's got one year left on his deal. Bellinger's dad played for the Yanks, has rings from the Yanks. Um, plays a great center field, could play center field while we wait for the Martian and then play first base or move to left field. He's a great defender. His bat is tailor-made for Yankee Stadium. I would like to see them sign him. Yeah. Uh, so for me, the one move I would like to see my team, the Houston Astros, make this offseason would be to go and get a left-handed batter who can play corner outfield. Uh, that's probably not going to happen. It's very unlikely because Dana Brown, the general manager, said he wants to add bullpen arms and a backup catcher to Yainer Diaz. He said he might also even consider adding a starting pitcher in you know lower like back end rotation stuff. But Houston's lineup gets very right handed heavy after Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. Those are guys who are probably going to bat back to back or maybe with one person in between them. So you're looking at the first, probably the first four spots of your lineup. You've both your lefties have already batted, and a lot of cases they're going to bat them three, four back to back with each other. So that means you're going to have seven consecutive righties after that. That can be a little too right-handed heavy. Um, I know that obviously there's the Crawford boxes, but righties haven't been hitting well enough for the Astros lately, which has been well documented with the batter's eye issue. But um, <laughs> to that extent, and also the Astros aren't going to have a ton of uh, uh, CBT threshold uh, or, or luxury tax threshold money. So signing a free agent seems unlikely in that regard too. But as we mentioned earlier, Alex Verdugo is available via trade. Houston doesn't have a ton of space, but if they make a deal where they move some money in, get some, you know, take some of his money on, et cetera, if they do something like that where they're sending, sending guys out and kind of shuffling the books around, that might be an opportunity. Um, but as I said, you know, that first luxury tax hold, uh, tax, excuse me, as I said, that first luxury tax threshold of $237 million is creeping up on the Astros. They're not expected to have much more than four-ish million dollars of room uh, after accounting for you know, paying all the minimum salaries, renewing contracts, arbitration. They have a lot of big arbitration guys coming up. So yep. that's probably the one move as I'd like to see them do is, is add a left-handed bat to that lineup uh, who can play corner outfield because that's really the only hole they have in terms of defensive alignment that they could fill. Um, unless they're going to get a new starting center fielder, which I don't think they are. I think they like Chaz McCormick and they like Jake Myers and they like Mauricio Dubon. Um, I think Chaz will probably get more playing time, but that's beside the point. Yeah. Oh, listen, you want to, you want to go over that threshold. You can get Astro hater Cody Bellinger if you want. Yeah. I don't think that that's just not the Astros MMO is to go sign. No, it's not. Agent. That's why it was so surprising when they went and spent money on Abreu and, and re-signing Montero and both those didn't work out. Um, but we've also kind of seen it looks like Jim Crane might be giving Dana Brown a little bit more control, um, uh, you know, letting him run the show. For example, the Espada hired Jim Crane wasn't at the presser. Uh, it was just Dana Brown and Dana Brown kind of said, look, Jim told me this is my thing. So, you know, who knows? Maybe that's <laughs> maybe that's more ominous than it seems. But it does. I do get the impression that maybe Jim kind of sees that what he did uh, when there was no GM signing a Brayu and, and um Montero might not have been the most savvy uh, or, or the most savvy right. way of going about it. So we'll see. With that, we're about to put a bow on another episode. Before we do, though, I want to give you an opportunity for some plugs. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, staying strong on Fortran Army. I mean, Yankee Twitterverse is very negative right now. Bashing Cashman. 
demanding to know when Soto's coming to the Yanks. <laughs> um, I am sticking to, and I'm also building out uh, my following and followers uh, with both the Michigan Twitter uh, verse of hashtag Go Blue. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of folks out there, obviously, jumping all over the uh, you know the the the, the sign skill sign stealing scandal say that five times fast welcome um, my friend welcome to the team it's great being here it's great yeah. just saying fuck you we're gonna go for it uh but also building it out with uh with the jets twitterverse um a lot of negativity there too but some good folks out there too so yeah Fortran army on twitter uh still staying strong and also looking forward to the baseball season how about you uh, yep, still doing uh, Sports by Storm. Slowed down a little bit here with the off season. I haven't done any uh, previews. Obviously, there's no games to preview. But I'll be doing a little bit of writing here and there in the coming days. Um, subscribe now. You get it right to your inbox. That's Sports by Storm, a Substack blog. You can also find me on Twitter, at Sports by Storm, or at Sports by Storm on Instagram. Don't forget the show is on Instagram, at Bleachers underscore and underscore boxes. Give us a follow. Oh, by the way, give us a rating. Give us a like if you enjoy it. Share it with your friends. Thank you for listening. As always, we'll be in touch soon this offseason as moves begin to unfold. Thank you and take care. Bye-bye. Peace.